Hello everyone, and welcome to Picture the Scene Podcast, hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Rachel. Now please note that this is a true crime podcast, so as always, listener caution is advised. We would love you to interact with us on our social media platforms. We are active on them, albeit with different frequency, and I'll leave a link to all of them in the show notes. And so, how have you been, Rachel? Is there anything that you'd like to confess? No, I don't think so. But now, now you ask me out of the blue, I'm wondering whether there's any, anything I would like to confess. Um, no, I don't think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand firm with my original response. No, there's okay. not. But I've been good, thanks. How have you been? I'm good, thank you. But well, well, I will let you, the listeners, decide what you think about that answer. And while <laughs> you're deciding what you think about that answer, I need to confess something, Rachel. Okay. I did tell. You, you out there listening, I did tell Rachel that I was covering a certain case. When I sat down to write it, I had this case I'm going to cover now in my head, so I ended up covering it. I came oh, across here this, we go. Yes. I came across this case the other day for a collaboration that we're going to do with two other very well-known pods, um, details of which will have to remain secret, but I'm excited that we get to rub shoulders, not soldiers, shoulders, with some of the UK's finest podcasters. So uh, watch this space for more info on that. But now, I must ask you this question, Rachel. Are you ready for some true crime? Absolutely, and I'm very intrigued about what the case is now. Yes. We are still going to do that case, but next week, by the way. Ah. So if it's safe... Or two weeks. If it's safe to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. I'd like to take I'd like to take us back to December the twenty first, nineteen ninety five. I want to visit a layby on the A fifty seven today. Now the A fifty seven is a road that runs from Liverpool, which is on the west coast of England, and it goes all the way through to Lincoln, which is in the east of England. The major cities it runs through on its way are Manchester and Sheffield, with a lot of other small towns in between. Fun uh, fact for you. Yeah. I was on the A fifty seven last week. Was you? Oh, I right. was, yeah. There you go. Um, there you go. It's oh. not fun for anyone. <laughs> Part of that stretch that runs between Manchester and Sheffield is called Snake Pass. Was you on Snake Pass? I was not on Snake Pass, to the best of my knowledge. And I'm disappointed. Snake Pass is a hill pass in the Peak District that crosses the Pennines, and it's a beautiful part of the UK. I've done it many times. The lay-by was actually in a place called Cutthroat Bridge. Now, Sounds it, pleasant. Yes. It was called that not because of the crime I'm covering today, but because a local man 400 years ago was found murdered with his throat cut by another local man called Robert Ridge, great name, and two accomplices. Cutthroat Bridge was just outside of Sheffield. Now, due to it being a quite an isolated place, that stretch, it tends to have extremes of weather and can be hard to pass sometimes in really bad weather. But on the 21st of December, the weather had ranged between a chilly zero and minus 2 degrees Celsius, which is between 28 and 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Some of our UK listeners could only dream of weather reaching those kind of low temperatures, given the current climate. Exactly. Now, I want to take you to this lay-by near the bridge called Cutthroat Bridge on the A57, because even though it was just days before Christmas, no Christmas spirit or joy seemed to exist. For two two men at least. Before I introduce you to these two men, I'd like to introduce you to Walter McCarthy, who was 59 years old on his fateful day in December. 
Walter was just your average type of person. He was not renowned for anything really. He was approaching the twilight of his years and he lives on Halifax Road in Sheffield on a day in question. In 1979, he married an Aphrodite Antonio who already had a son called Anthony, or Tony as he liked to be called. And Tony was six at the time. In 1979, he and his mother moved to Sheffield to live with Walter. Aphrodite had returned to Cyprus, however, in September of that year, 1995, leaving Walter alone and in the UK. Single at an age where it's hard to find someone else, if you're that way inclined. Oh, and what about Tony? So we'll get to Tony. I feel like, I feel like I have a picture of Tony in my head. And it's like, whenever I hear the name Tony, I think of some mafia boss. Yeah, Tony Soprano. Yeah. My favourite TV show. So, couldn't get into Sopranos. Sorry. Just couldn't. Tried my hardest. Listeners, are you hearing this? Last time she told me that she didn't like cheese. This time she told me she doesn't like Sopranos. I'm beginning to think that I don't really like Rachel. But oh, we'll dear. Here for the moment. Um, <laughs> watch it again. On this day, on the 21st of December... Walter was visited by his stepson, Tony, who we were just talking about there, okay. who I mentioned earlier, and his friend, you love this name, Timothy Redhead, mm-hmm. and to, to ask him to go with them to Manchester for some business. Now, that business was being to buy some cannabis from Manchester in the Mossside area. Now, given this was his stepson, who was reasonably successful, and he owned a chip shop in Wasley Bridge in Sheffield called a Lazy Codling. Now, it was... Not known for his cleanliness, by the way. I know it's because I'm from Sheffield. But it it wasn't an out-of-the-ordinary request for, from Tony to his dad. Stepdad, sorry. Tony was also not long out of a relationship. Up, and up until April of that year, he had been in a relationship that lasted three years with her Louise Bob, having left her the day after she had given birth to their son and he had never seen their son. Yes. So do you know that name, Rachel, Louise Bob? Does it sound familiar to you? No Googling. No, it doesn't. However, I am familiar with the surname Redhead. Really? Oh, it's... I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My best friend in the world uh, has that surname. And our friendship was solidified on the um, maybe third sentence that came out of my mouth when I went, no way, your surname's Redhead and you have red hair. There you go. Friendship for life. Everyone loves the ginger. So, <laughs> Louise Bob is the real name of the very famous British pop singer called Gabrielle. Do you know Gabrielle? Oh, I do. I loved her song, Sunshine Through My Window. Is that, was that what it was called? Anyway. Yes. For those of you outside of the UK or who are a little younger than both I and Rachel are, Gabrielle is one of the most successful British solo female artists and I also love her music. And also, if you're a Bridget Jones Diary film fan, she sang the song on that film called Out of Reach. She does, and she wears an eye patch, and I always was curious about the eye patch. Because she had a, what happened was she had a lazy eye, so she wore an eye patch, and then she had surgery in the eye, and that's when you know. Late, I know too much about Gabrielle. That's when you know later in her career, she moved to sunglasses. Do you remember? And she always had her hair over her eye. Yes, she did. Wow. Yes. Fun fact about Gabrielle. Well done. Indeed, Gabrielle's an awesome singer. If you don't know oh, her, yes. her music, 
R&B slash pop. So it's not a very nice thing to do though, is it, Rachel? Dump your long-term partner a day after she gave birth without even seeing your child. No, it's an awful thing to do. So I would like you to like, explain a bit more about this. By the time this day did come around in December, Tony also had another partner <gasps> who was also pregnant with his child. Oh, my God. So he's got two women knocked up. Yeah. Overlapped, clearly. Yeah. And he was married to a Cypriot woman when he met Gabrielle. Gabrielle? Or Louise? Well, they're the same person. Gabrielle is Louise's middle name. Louise, Gabrielle, Bob. Oh, gosh, sorry. Wow. Okay, so he's married and has knocked up two other women. Well, I don't know if he was still married, but he was married when he met Gabrielle. He was in a relationship. What a man. Yes. Poster boy for the modern male, unfortunately. Um, I've just turned off half our listeners there. Um, But the other half are cheering, so it's okay. So here we have Tony. Turn up to Walter, his stepfather's house, with his friend, Timmy Redhead. Now, unfortunately, Timmy Timmy wasn't ginger at the time. Oh, man. But while he may not have been ginger, and again, I'm using my knowledge of the area here because I grew up there, Timmy, as he liked to be called, or maybe he didn't, was from a notorious family in the Woodhouse area of Sheffield. So Notorious he, in the sense of mafia? Well... Criminal. I don't oh. think um, Mafia quite reached Sheffield. But shame. Flat cap mafia. Um so <laughs> if he knew that if maybe if Walter knew this, he might have had second thoughts with going with them. But he did ultimately go with them and Tony drove a Nissan Turbo. Turbo from what I can gather. And Walter got in the front seat and Timmy got in the back. Now, that was nice to Tony, wasn't it, Rachel? Letting Walter ride shotgun. Making it easy for him to get in and out of the car. <laughs> I'm not sure where this is going. So, off they sat. The happy threesome. On their way to Manchester from Sheffield. Via the A57 and Snake Pass. When they got to Cutthroat Bridge, however, Tony pulled over and proceeded to pull out his commando-style knife and he stabbed Walter 52 times Killing him there in the car. What? Yes. Sorry, I kind of just threw that in there, didn't I? So he pulled over at Cutthroat Bridge uh, in a lay-by there and turned her over to Walter, who was in the front seat next to him, and stabbed him 52 times with a commando-style knife. Wow. Now, it can't be determined, I'm saying this for legal reasons, but you can figure out what happened yourself, it can't be determined what part, if any, Timmy had in this. Now, after Walter was dead, Tony proceeded to get his samurai sword, because everyone... Actually, I didn't even put this in the notes, but Tony had a samurai sword because he used to, in his chip shop, use it to chop the heads off of the fish. Um, I know that's just a normal act for a chip shop person, isn't it? But oh, um, So he got his samurai sword out and he tried to chop Walter's hand off. Unsuccessfully, it turned out. However... He did successfully then manage to chop Walter's head off. Whoa. Now, once Walter's head was chopped off, now I am going to go into details here so you can see what type of man he is. Thanks. He proceeded to swear at it, saying 
F you to it. You do you want to say that word out loud for me, Rachel? Fuck you. There you go. He said that to the head, to the severed head, holding it by the hair. He was punching it and he was generally abusing it for 20 minutes before popping it into a plastic bag. Now he abused it for 20 minutes because Walter had once told him that a severed head lived on for 20 minutes until its oxygen supply ran out. So he wanted to make him suffer for that time period. Wow. They then dumped, so they dumped Walter's body at Cutthroat Bridge and then drove 150 miles to Bedfordshire and they made a phone call to Timmy's mother, Catherine, and another relative of Timmy's called John Bland. So Catherine and John went to meet the pair, Timmy and Tony. Um, sounds like a comedy duo, doesn't it, Timmy and Tony? <laughs> they went to meet the pair at Chokehole Farm Road in Dunstable and to give them a shovel that they had taken with them. Of now, course. Tony and Timmy dug a hole and emptied the plastic bag into a hole with John Bland later stating that when he looked at the contents of the hole, he saw a man's head. Oh. Now, just to put doubt, any doubt to one side, though I don't see how he can have any doubts with all of that, when Timmy's mum, Catherine, heard the news later in the day that a man's body had been found, headless, she asked them both if they had killed a man, and Tony just started grinning. Now, the police quickly identified Walter's body because even though at the time he didn't have his head, he had documents on him in his pockets that identified oh. him. Now, it didn't take long, a few days, I gather, for them to arrest both Timmy and Tony, comedy duo, for the murder. Timmy denied he participated in the murder at every point and he pled not guilty at the trial. Tony, oh. however, he happily told the police that he killed Walter. Well, I'll say happily. At first he denied it, but during questioning when it became obvious, then he admitted to it and he happily told the police that he killed Walter. But when he came to trial, he still pled not guilty to murder, even though he admitted it to the police when questioned. So why did he plead not guilty? But again, I just need to clarify, as I mentioned before, Timmy always maintained his innocence. Good old Timothy. So his plea made more sense. But Tony pled not guilty. So why did Tony pled not guilty to murder even though he told the police he killed him he was sentenced putting the family through trial possibly even though it, the family was his mum mm. I don't know maybe he thought he could be protected let's see why now Tony pled not guilty to murder because he pled guilty to manslaughter oh yes when he was arrested he told police that when Walter broke up with his mum, Walter had boasted to his mum that not only did he have several affairs with other women while he was with Aphrodite, who was Tony's mum, remember? Mm -hmm. he, had, he had also abused both boys and girls, children. Now, I'm not sure why anyone would boast that they had done this type of thing. The other women thing, you can see the reasoning behind it, because he was obviously trying to make his ex feel like crap and make himself yeah. look like he wasn't hurt. Like he didn't bother him. But children, how how does that come into the equation? Why why would you boast about that? Well, yeah, unless he'd hurt Tony and then, you know, his mum had said, and you touched my son, and he said he wasn't the only one or something like that, but you wouldn't just come out with that. You wouldn't just volunteer that information, would you? 
Yeah, well, this is what Tony said he did. But, however, when it came to trial, Tony had changed his story slightly. He said that between the age of 9 and 14, Walter had abused him, sometimes alone, and sometimes with Walter's friends, who had abused him also. So, therefore, the trial, it was never really, did he do it? It was more, why did he? Was it murder or not? For Tony, at least. Remember, for Timmy, he claimed he had never been in the car. He was only guilty of helping Tony dispose of the head and the weapons that had been used. Mm. Now, I'm not quite sure how he helped him if he had never even got in the car, but um, that's, that's a puzzle for another day. Now, the prosecution's case that this was a cold-blooded murder that had been planned for months in advance and that both of the men were guilty of murder, nothing less. By the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for eight and a half hours. In the case of Timmy Redhead, or Timothy as his full name is, a decision could have been made by the jury, so the judge ordered that not guilty be found for Timmy. He would, however, be convicted of helping dispose of the body, and he would receive three years in jail. Wow. For Tony, his manslaughter defence was not believed. He was found guilty of murder and subsequently gave... Given the only sentence possible in the UK if he found guilty of murder, then that is life. Now, the only thing that can be variable would be the length of the minimum term he mm. had to spend in prison. So Tony was sentenced to serve a minimum term of 14 years on Thursday the 20th of March 1997, some 15 months after he committed the crime. Now, before we go on to discuss our thoughts on this one, Rachel, because normally this is where I wrap up now, I'm not going to wrap up here, I want to extend a little further i wanted to touch on a couple of little things which are this is what i found interesting about the case was the whole gabrielle aspect of it okay. now not that it was linked to someone famous because she was famous more so because she was famous we've got an easier way of seeing the actual impacts these type of crimes have on the people that are associated with them the oh god yeah so that's what i found interesting now gabrielle touched on this crime in some of her later songs on the album Rise, but she she was impacted in a much bigger way. After mm. he had committed the crime, he'd actually gone to her home and stayed there while she was away. And bear in mind, she had not seen him since she, he left her, but he'd gone to her home and stayed there because she was away, uh, obviously probably doing something with her career. And all the time he was there trying to figure out how he could get away with the crime. The car that they used was found burnt out near her home. Oh. She said she was confused as to why he would suddenly turn up out of the blue and stay in her home without asking her or telling her. Mm-hmm. When she gave evidence at the trial, because she had to, as to the character of Tony, she said that he was a kind and considerate man who would spoil her rotten and she couldn't imagine him killing someone. She would later say... The whole, in- the whole incident left her teaching on the edge of a nervous breakdown. It triggered a bout of agoraphobia, so bad that she feared to step outside, and when that did become under control, she developed an obsessive-compulsive disorder in which she had the fear of using other people's toilets, toilets that were not her own. So even the thought of drinking would make her want to go to the toilet, so it got to the point where she would never drink anything outside of the home. Oh, wow. Her doctors told her that her constant sore throat was due to severe dehydrated vocal cords and that if she didn't drink lots of water, she'd damage them forever. 
or oh, something wow. that she couldn't do because of her OCD that she developed. Now, it wasn't only the toilet thing that became an issue for her. She became obsessed with home security due to Tony staying in her house without her knowing. Having to check and constantly recheck all the windows and doors were locked. She also became obsessed about hygiene and cleanliness, showering four times a day and constantly washing her hands. She later said, The palms of my hands got so dried out that they would actually flake a skin condition and brought on by my obsessive washing. Now, she couldn't even leave the house without going through the same set routine. Now, this is her routine, what she said she had to do. I checked the kitchen and the dining room in turn. I checked the handles on the doors and the window locks and that the knobs on the cooker were facing the right way to check they weren't on. And I had to do it in the right order. If I forgot one of the things, I couldn't go out until I had done them all again. I couldn't break the chain. I didn't have any therapy because I didn't see it as a problem. I was just trying to feel more secure. Now, I think that's really interesting because it gives us an insight into how our life had been impacted in a way that we might never know because when you hear about crimes, you hear about maybe the immediate victim or the perpetrator, but most people in Gabriel's position who were affected but not directly, they wouldn't have the voice to speak out in public once they'd gotten help or maybe even never gotten help and Mm -hmm. all got better. So I found this really interesting because she was obviously... She had a hiatus. I don't know if you know her career. She had a few years where she just wasn't seen in public at all because of all this. And so it's interesting that we got to hear about that. Mm. I wonder a bit. Sorry. No, go How old was her baby when this happened? Well, it was April she gave birth to the baby and this happened in December. It, It might have as well been wrapped up with a bit of like postpartum like depression or baby blues as well like spiraled well you you see I know of people who've been diagnosed like five years after their baby's born because there are these tiny habits that have been formed as coping mechanisms or um or or things that people have done just to get by day in day out that have kind of manifested themselves in behaviors like that have snowballed you know years later so um yeah sometimes it can be in the first couple of weeks with all the hormones rushing about but sometimes it can transpire you know years after in a a traumatic incident that brings everything to the forefront and and you know but but yeah I just I mean I'm not for one minute underplaying the impact that Tony being in her home and doing what he did will have had in her life because that would have been awful in its own right but then being a mother a new mother of like a seven-month-old baby coupled with that must have been quite traumatic um and I do think it's 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 really valuable insight because like she wasn't a direct victim had probably never met Walter and um you know Tony wouldn't have lifted raised his hand to her I don't know that for sure but maybe however um the thought of somebody that's done that being in your home and in close vicinity to your child and you being none the wiser to that yeah I absolutely agree that um that would have had a lasting effect yeah yeah you might be right about the um 
both now depression thing. Uh, but yeah, it's I don't I don't have enough information or knowledge, but it could be. But there's actually one more thing I want to discuss. I just found that really interesting that mm. it got that insight. But there's one more thing I want to discuss. What mm. actually happened to both of the accused after this crime? Mm. And usually, it's not touched on at all. For those of you outside of the UK, or those of you that are in it but are not sure, once you're released from prison for murder. You're on what's called a life license. So any breaking your release conditions or any crime committed whatsoever, even if it's not linked to the original index crime, you can be recalled to prison and possibly for life. So Tony was released in 2010 after serving his minimum time on life life. And serving his minimum time of 14 years, because remember, he was uh, on remand for a year as well, and mm-hmm. he was released on a life license. In 2016... It was reported that he had a European arrest warrant had been issued for him because he had broken the terms of his release. He hadn't been allowed to leave the country without permission, but he did. He went to Cyprus. He went to Cyprus, which is maybe where his family is, which is Mm. where he was eventually arrested and sent back to the UK. Now, I couldn't find out any more after that, but if he's still in prison or he's been released again, so I'm, I'm not sure, but... Timmy, let's look at Timmy. Now, I'm calling him, purposely calling him Timmy, by the way, because I don't believe he deserves much respect. But Timmy was already a criminal before this incident. And it didn't stop him being a criminal after his release. He would be arrested and sentenced more than once since his release. With one of the more notable convictions he would receive would be because he attacked a man outside of a pub in the town of Skegness, with a hammer in 2008. Oh so, did they make a mistake with his conviction? Who knows? Um, he was found not guilty. But given his history since then, I think anyone who agrees to dispose of a head, a bloody knife and a bloody sword, isn't entirely innocent. Would you say, Rachel? I'd be inclined to agree. So... What are your thoughts in this one, Rachel? I mean, a horrible crime. Poor Walter. I can't vouch for how he behaved and whether he was um, indeed a paedophile as well, and a woman as well as a womanizer. But at the end of the day, that is no way to meet the end of your life, is it? Um, Just one thing clearly. Well, I didn't include in there, but when he was punching and saying abuse to the head after he chopped it off. He was even doing it in the style of Tony Montana from Scarface. Oh, my God. I know. That's why that, that F.U. word is what Tony says, isn't it, when he's got the machine gun at the end. Of the... I, I just can't help but think the amount of blood that must have been in that car, which yeah. probably leads everyone to think that I watch way too much crime and investigations <laughs> channel. Um, but yeah, like, can't sever a head very easily, can you? I've watched Dexter a fair few times. But then to beat up the severed head and yeah. be shaking it violently, there's going to be a lot of blood spatter, right? Yeah, I have unfortunately seen a head be chopped off. I told you this, remember, a, few, a couple of months ago? I clicked on the wrong video link on Facebook and it was in Mexico. Oh my God. It was a woman that had been linked to a drug cartel and it was some of the Mexican cartel members 
Oh they my basically God. like chopped her hands off and then they chopped her head off. Wow. And it disturbed me for weeks. I w- really wish I never watched it. Um, I didn't intentionally try and watch it, but yeah, no. So um, why did I bring that up? Oh, um, the amount of blood spatter yeah. from her head being chopped off. Yeah, and how easy it was. So yeah, it's just. Um, but I just, I'm just thinking as well, like the logistics of being in a car, right? So say it's a left-hand drive, yeah, yeah. so the passenger's in, to, no, right-hand drive, sorry, so the passenger's to the left of you. So you're using your strong hand, say for argument's sake, he's right-handed, because left-handed, even if it was your strong hand, would be even more tricky. Yeah. But you've got his right hand, to stab him that many times. Yeah, it'd be frenzied, then, wouldn't it? yeah. But then to chop his head off. Well, he probably didn't chop his head off in the car because he was already dead by then. Right. So he was maybe I don't, I, removed. I don't, know where, I don't know, but I'm guessing mm. it's probably a bit of a health and safety thing to chop her head off in a car. <laughs> I mean, I think health and safety is out the window, like out the door. It's gone. Not even a consideration. I'm sure he's not going to get in touch with his union for hurting his back by stretching over to stab him. You know, whatever. But yeah, no, that that's that's awful. Like, thanks for that. You know, I I just in general, thank you. <laughs> but I do think you know what you've called out there. Some of um some of the impact towards Gabrielle as well as really interesting insight. And I'd be keen to hear. Was there anything like kind of documented on her recovery? Has she recovered now? Yes, she gave some interviews um, in, I, I can't remember the date, but it was only a couple of years ago, I think 2019 maybe, that that she feels like now she can move on with her career and stuff. Yeah, and uh, like can leave the house and drink yeah. water and like without all of the ticks that she had to yeah. fulfill, yeah. yeah. One of the things, I mean, the links in all the, in the show notes, but one of the interviews she had was that, she can now identify when them when they're about to start, and it helps her mm. uh, manage them. Absolutely. When it's an issue now, and it's it right. would have been, you know, it would have been even in two thousand nineteen, it would have been really nerve wracking, kind of confessing all of that, wouldn't it? And how you know it's still something that you battle with. And I always find it incredibly admirable when um, people in the public eye come out and say, you know, I've been battling with this because. It's hard enough for, you know, your friend, family member or someone to come forward and tell you. But when, like, trolls and press reporters and all of that get involved and can be quite mean, you know, yeah, quite admirable that she came out and spoke about these things. Definitely, because when the trial, well, it was in the songs at all, but when the trial was on, it was all about Gabrielle, even though she, was a, she had to mm. be a witness because they found, they got him in her house and... She had a relationship with him, but um, it was all about her and the trial, what she did in the witness stand, and even like the press would call it at the time, the Gabrielle murder. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know whether you recall a couple of years ago, but um, a, a woman that went on a date with Ashton Kutcher um, was murdered in her apartment by her ex-boyfriend, and um, yeah. Ashton Kutcher had been out with her like once, and he was due, she was due to go to an after party of an award ceremony with him that night. And she obviously didn't turn up. 
and he didn't go around to the house. There was nothing more in it than that. He just figured, oh, she's not interested. And it was the it was like the Ashton Kutcher trial because he had to give evidence towards having been with her a night before the lead up to the murder. And like, so he was a very small part of the whole thing. The whole thing wasn't even about the fact that she was dating him. But um, but yeah, Hollywood kind of gripped on to the fact that this girl's dated a famous person. So tell you what, we'll kind of overshadow the fact that someone's lost their life here and put the Hollywood actor in the in the spotlight. And it is it's a shame because the wrong thing gets the attention, doesn't it? Exactly. So for one last time, if it's safe you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. You're in your local chip shop and you can see the man in the back preparing a food and he has blood on his apron. Would it make you think twice about buying your food? So thank you all. Uh, please do tell your friends about us and leave us a review or a rating if you use Apple, Podchaser or Spotify. Uh, we'd be more than happy if you did that. Lovely. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Bye. Bye.